and welcome to Cinephiles Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you very much for joining us today. Happy Passover, Happy Easter, whichever one you celebrate. Here in Los Angeles, a little bit of a gloomy day. Kind of fits everybody's kind of personal attitude to a certain extent because we can't go out and see our families because of the, the shutdown. It's a little difficult to... Uh, Go out and celebrate with uh, people that you usually usually do. A lot of us usually would uh, steal our family's food on a day of celebration like today. We don't have that opportunity. Give us a call, 515-602-9609. If you have any questions, you want to talk to Dirk Ellis, who's our guest today. Actor, stunt actor. It's going to be great talking to him today. Let's get this show right off the right off the road. Right off the road, right on the road. Let's get this sh- no. Let's just get this show started. <laughs> Dirk Ellis. <laughs> Mr. Steve Pisa. How you doing, my friend? Happy Easter, sir. Happy Easter. Now, before we get started, how are you and your family doing during during the lockdown? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, family is doing good. I'm I'm from Texas, and almost all my family lives out there right now. Uh, and uh, they they actually had a, a bit of a scare la- uh, this morning. They they're, they're, oh. they dealt with some tornadoes. Really? That's exactly yeah. what the planet needs right now: is the coronavirus and tornadoes. <laughs> That's exactly oh, what know, people need. Throw a volcano in there. Why not? Yeah, that's a volcano. How about a tsunami? How about we just sure. throw one of those in there? It just goes right over Mexico, Absolutely. right into like Texas. Great. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, let's just see how much we can handle. You know. <laughs> so, uh, how are the tornadoes going right now? Did did it touch base anywhere around your area? Yeah, I got some. Uh, well, I, I I can't be certain of the details, but I just woke up this morning and and checked out Facebook as I do, and I had some of my uh, relatives and family talking about how they were hiding out in their bathroom and all, had all the Jeez. dogs and covers and everything. Yeah, I I texted my dad, and uh, he said it got pretty exciting, but everything's calm now, so I think everybody's fine. That's good. Nice, nice. Well, let's yes, let's talk a little bit about you, about your career right now. You know. Have you always wanted? Are you? You said you're from Texas, so you're not from LA. Yes, no, no. I was born and raised in Texas, and I lived there about uh, 22, 23 years of my life before moving. Wow. Now, is Texas known for for filmmaking or for any series being filmed out there? Not really, and that was kind of my issue because I had always had a passion for filmmaking and acting since I was a very little kid and I I worked really hard to try to create my own version of the entertainment industry when I was in Texas I did a lot of things that I was I was trying to become my own uh, I guess I don't know entrepreneur own uh, your own Spielberg person yeah I was trying to make my own stuff I was constantly Constantly playing around with the old VHS video cameras that we had back okay. in the day. Those big ones that you put on your, your shoulder. I was sure. constantly playing around with those. Yeah, I used to edit with from VCR to VCR. I used to edit my own 
films and audition tapes with VCRs connected to That's each crazy. other before, That's... yeah, before we had Adobe <laughs> Premiere and right. you know, DaVinci Resolve, all that. So sure. I, I had a love for even acting as a little, little kid. I remember when I watched the movie uh, Dennis the Menace, which I think came out in like the early 90s or something. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, I, I noticed right away that kid was not much of an age difference from me. Right. So, yeah, I was like, okay, that kid got in the movies. How? Right. How can I get in the movies? I, how can I do that? And so I, well, I asked my mom. I said, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. There, there are a lot of people who who have this idea in their minds of like, I want to be, you know, a sheriff officer. I want to be, uh, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. But. N- n- not a lot of people will follow through with that. What made you follow mm. through with wanting to be an actor? I, I completely agree with that. A lot of people want to be a fireman or a policeman or a doctor or a right. lawyer or something big like that, and very few people follow through with it. And I, I tried to think about – I was thinking about this interview yesterday about you know what kind of questions may be asked, and a lot of times I get the question, when were you bit by the bug? I I don't know ever remember getting bit by the bug. I just always kind of had a love for films. I, I remember right. watching, like I said, Dennis the Menace, and I asked my mom, how in the world did that kid get in the movies? And my mom was like, well, he's an actor in California. And hmm. that's when it first kind of dawned on me, California, interesting, okay. And right. my dad is also from California. My dad grew up in California. So okay. he grew up in, in Long, Long Beach, I believe. And um, he would tell me stories about California all the time. And I was just in, entranced by it. I just loved hearing stories of California. And I always dreamed of moving out here one day. Mm. So, really? yeah. And just my love for films just kept on growing as I got older, but I didn't accept it and follow that passion seriously until it kind of clicked in high school when I was, uh, uh, I was a drummer and I was in the drum line for the high school drum line, the college drum line. I was a drum line teacher for a while. And I, realized that my love for, for performing what was what is what was doing it for me I loved performing and I thought the highest level of performing for me was to be in the film industry I loved being on camera and creating art or being behind the camera and creating art right was there anybody in your family that that discouraged you or encouraged you to want to be in the film industry that's a really good question um I I got a mix of both from from family and friends. I I think my family was kind of allowing me to kind of find my own path because when I I, I wasn't that great academically, um, I wasn't okay. that great uh, athletically, but I was really good with 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 music, and I had this draw to 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 acting. So I realized arts were kind of my thing, and or at least that's what I fell towards. So. When I was talking about going to California, I, I, I got a little bit of like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see type thing. You know, they didn't really know right. what I was going to do with my life. And, and to be honest, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of support I got from a lot of friends. There was a few friends here and there that said, hey, man, go for it. But I don't really right. think anybody took me extremely seriously until I started making the moves where I was, right. I was like really talking about leaving home uh, at a, my early, early 20s. And I'd gotten an offer to, uh, to, to go to Florida, and that's right. when entertainment, the real entertainment career started was when I moved to Florida and I turned 23. Right. Mm-hmm. Really? And I had joined up with uh, Disney theme parks, and that's how I got my start with 
professional entertainment. Well, I know you did a, a lot of things for like Disney, like you just said, and what have you, and in performing for live audiences and what have you. So how did that begin for you? And, and what did you play in those audience-based performances? Uh, well, I did a little bit of theater from time to time growing up through school, and, and, and I, I studied uh, – uh, I studied basically music and, and theater in the one year of college that I did. And I really, in college, I just kind of learned that college wasn't for me. That was like the biggest thing I learned about college was right. it wasn't for me. And <laughs> it, it, I just, it's not for everyone. And it wasn't for me. And I excelled more whenever I got out of Texas and I left to go to Florida because I had had a, a job offer that fell through. And I then, applied for for disney i was like well while i'm out here i I mean disney world has a big character department maybe it'll be some you know good uh training for me you know and and i i joined up with disney and um they they took me in like like i had never been taken in before they were like oh how many hours of overtime do you work you're the perfect type for these characters you're a really good animator we want you to so I was working an average of 60 hours a week um, uh, at Disney, and I was loving every minute of it because I was, even though I was in a character costume and I was doing all the, the basic uh, VIP characters like Goofy and Captain Hook and Baloo and Br'er Bear and right. Mr. Incredible, I did all those big characters for a while. It, it, uh, it was still so fun to me because at least I wasn't sitting behind a desk at least I wasn't putting up with rude customers or whatever I was right. entertaining. I was, I was, and that's what my love was. And I, I realized I came up with this tactic while I was performing in character. If I can entertain the children, but make the, the parents laugh, I'm, I'm doing right. my job, right. you know, because I, yeah, I felt that the parents are the ones that want their kids to come have a good time. And if even they're having a good time, that means that I'm, I'm doing a good job because the kids are going to have a good time just by coming up to you and saying hi and giving you a hug. But if I can do something animated for them that right. the parents will get on an adult level, it, it becomes, we're all included now. And that's what I enjoyed. And Disney was like hardcore with, with the way they structure their characters and their integrity and everything. So you have to follow every rule and do it the way they train. And it's almost like, it's almost like a military type training. You, uh, the military style training for entertainment. You got the, everything has to be perfect, and that really taught me a lot, a lot. Right. So I, I really appreciated that. I always I always hear a lot of horror stories. You know, when when people were in, in those suits, yeah. entertaining kids or what have you. Uh, was that any part of your experience, or was it mostly just positive? It was mostly positive. Um, there's. There's a lot of uh, rumors out there that the uh, that the uh, character costumes come with air conditioning. Um, I have, and that's kind of I've never heard that. Right there, like, <laughs> okay, good. That's a that's a rumor out there that a lot of character costumes come with air conditioning, and 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 it's not really that. It's extremely hot in Florida. By the way, I've worked in uh, seven theme parks around the world, and I have never witnessed Jeez. an actual air conditioner or ventilation vent in a character costume. Right. Uh, it, it's it's just something you gotta work through and, and get endurance for putting up with the heat right. and, and uh, I, if you do it long enough and then you get, and you get really good at it, you start auditioning for other stuff. And I, I started getting other characters. I, I became a power ranger for Disney and I did nice. that for two and a half years. Yeah. And that was a crazy, crazy experience because it was so physically demanding. I ended up uh, tearing my, uh, my meniscus in my right knee due to Power Rangers because I did it for wow. so long. Yeah. You're giving so much out to that. You're just, you're destroying your knee. 
I did. I, I had to have surgery, corrective surgery to fix it and stuff. And, and it was, it was hard doing martial arts in power ranger boots on concrete. It just, right. it's not a good mix. And, no, uh, yeah, but I, I, I was able to move past that. And then Disney auditioned me for Tarzan. And I did that for uh, a few years with them where I was a, the meet and greet Tarzan, uh, much like Kevin Porter did in uh, Disneyland yep. LA. That's right. Yeah. Um, I did it in Orlando. And um, soon after that, I got around the same time I, I auditioned for Darth Maul and I got that. So I became the Disney World Darth Maul on their uh, stage for the show for a few years. And that was an amazing experience. Wow. I, ha- having to shave my head and go through two and a half hours of makeup every morning for that. And um, I eventually how moved was, on from that. And I, sorry, how was that experience? I mean, I mean, we're talking about this is pre uh, Star Wars being bought by Disney and what have you. And this is yes. this is the this is the pre you know new uh, part of the chain inside the, the Disney Studios itself. So how was that experience playing off that way? It was really amazing because I, I felt I started feeling more validated with Disney when they were. I was literally I had gone from full time to seasonal work, so I wasn't working full time anymore. And I had gone with another entertainment job where I was. Uh, this is a whole different story, but I was a walking drummer for SeaWorld and I was doing that now more full time and Disney was now calling me on certain times of the year to ask me if I would come back and shave my head and do Darth Maul again and so it, it felt really nice that you you know I was I was being encouraged you know by this company to come back and do more of these important characters and that was a really really good feeling so but and I continued doing that I would come back and I would continue doing Darth Maul and I, I did it in the Star Tours area of uh, what was MGM Studios. It's now called Hollywood Studios. Right. And uh, it was really, really fun because Star Wars is an amazing cult film. Um, I'm a fan. I'm not a, a super fan. I don't know everything about Star Wars. I don't even think I've seen all of the movies yet. I plan on it. But right. it was really, really fun to be immersed in that world. That was, right. it, 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 you're surrounded by Star Wars people, and it's just so fun to be a part of that joy that brings the Star Wars people happiness. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I was talking yeah. to Lee McDermott yesterday, the the stunt coordinator and what have you, about how sh- shows would not exist without stunt people, without stunt, stunt chore- yeah. choreographers and what have you. And I see that you, you started off with like CSI New York and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and what have you. So you did a yeah. lot of utility stunts for, for these shows. How did that work out? That is correct. That is correct. I, um, I'm, when I moved out to L.A. after I'd done some traveling around the world, and I moved out to L.A. in 2012, and I, I'm, I, had a, I had made a few friends out here, and those friends had uh, a stunt coordinator, uh, very well known out here. He's been in the industry a very long time. His name is Norman Howell, and he is the stunt coordinator for um, uh, what's that? Andy George, shut up. Cop show. <laughs> my God! And, oh, uh, you, <laughs> you hear my you hear my cat in the background just just I, I dying. Can hear out there. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, my cat is dying out here. Go oh ahead. no. Oh yeah. Um, well, it's so funny you say that because I'm sitting right. I'm actually in my car right now. I, I'm I'm actually in my girlfriend's car. I'm sitting right next to a um, a uh, a police crime scene uh, in, uh, in a parking lot next to McDonald's. I 
I pulled up here to get some food and a coffee, and I'm seeing there's cops everywhere, and it turns out yeah. there was a bit of a, a fight or something in the parking lot. There's a ton of cops. Well, we, so we, have a have pretty a, nice, we have a pretty nice audience listening right now. I actually thought I muted my mic when I said that. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> that's funny. He just heard me tell my cat to shut up. Like, come on, oh, that's man. Great. Give me a break. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're, we're talking about, we're talking about right. the show CSI uh, yes. in New York and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes. Um, I, I met Norman Howe, who was a stunt coordinator of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He was also stunt coordinator of CSI New York. And he brings on uh, people to do smaller style stunts, like um, if they have a bad guy running through a scene, that bad guy has got to knock some people out of the way. Well, they can't use you know background for that because it's not in the pay grade. So they have to bring on special ability type, label type people that will take a hit, fall to the ground, Stuff like that, and I got called in to do a lot of that kind of stuff, a lot of just bumps and pushes and everything. And I right. still, you know, still do it to this day from time to time. But that's that's how I got involved with that, and I got involved with Norman Howe, and he he helped me through a, a lot of um, getting a lot of work that way. Nice. Did he help you yeah. get the stunt double work on uh, Three Hundred as well? That's funny. Ask that. That actually no. That was completely its own entity right there. I got a call one morning from I think it was from I think it was from Central Casting who they cast like sixty five percent of the background work you see on television, and they called me and they said um, they said uh, Dirk we need to know if you are comfortable with uh, with with nudity and if you're comfortable with stunts (laughs) and I. said, uh, well, I guess it depends on the production and it depends on the pay. And they said, well, it'll be a, a principal stunt part and it'll be for the movie 300 part two. Right. And I was like, I'm good. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. You know, I, I was like, <laughs> I don't care really what it is. I want to, I was like Alice in the rabbit hole. That's kind of what LA is like. It's like Alice right. going down the rabbit hole. You never know where it's going to take you. And 90% of the time, at least in my experience, it's always worked out very well. If I just say yes, and go into the production, it usually works out. Everything works out fine. And sure enough, it did. Uh, it turns out they, they needed a stunt double to portray the main actor, uh, Sullivan Stapleton, on 300. And there's an intimacy scene, a uh, very violent intimacy scene in the, uh, in, on the boat in the movie. And it's so rough and violent, the, the physical throwing each other around and punching, that they had to call in stunt doubles to replace the actors. And that's Jeez. how I got that part. Yeah, I went and auditioned a couple of times, and I, I got the role, and uh, Zack Snyder was there directing me, and I was on set, and the, the female stunt actress was uh, Nancy McCrum, and mm. uh, we did this uh, scene, and, and it, was, it was pretty awesome. I had a lot of fun. It wasn't nearly as you know, weird or strange as I thought it would be. It was actually very, right. very, very professional. Right. You're somebody's stunt mm-hmm. butt. Basically, yeah. That, I got called worse on set, but you're right. I was there. The yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's move on to your acting because, you know, I, I saw Bombshell uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and I was shocked to see your face. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty pronounced, you know, when you see the movie. It, it is. I was yeah. shocked myself. Yeah. I mean, you're right there, uh, very prominent in that film. So what was it like working on Bombshell? Bombshell's a great movie. It's interesting – there that day, we were we were on set and we had already been ready and we were kind of they were setting up cameras and and I was one of the I was supposed to be one of the Fox security guards the security guards that worked for Fox Studios or something, and right. uh, when 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 the two when uh, John Lithgow 
and Charlize Theron arrived on set, for the first 30, 45 minutes, I didn't realize it was John Lithgow. Really? I, the, the prosthetics on his face were so good. They were yeah. some of the best I'd ever seen. I, I was like, that's John Lithgow? And I'm like, man, he is, he's let himself go. Gosh, he's getting huge. I don't even recognize him anymore. And then people were like, no, I think they're prosthetics. I'm like, no way. There's no way that's prosthetics. That, that, right. His neck, it looked too real. And then I finally, and I heard his voice, and sure enough, it was him. And I was like, they did a really good job with, with him. He was a really funny character on set, too. We, we had this scene where I had to escort them from their SUVs or their cars to the front. And I just, I didn't know a camera was on me. I wasn't sure where the cameras were. I was just doing the scene. I mean, I had an idea of where the cameras were. I was just trying to right. stay out of the actor's way and right. do my job. And, and I ended up getting right there kind of front and center of the camera with Charlize and John Lithgow. And it came out to be a pretty cool little shot. I was, in, yeah. I was impressed. Charlize looked fantastic. She was playing Megan Kelly. Oh, she was great. Yeah, she looked she fantastic. Great job in the movie. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So, what what got you what got you into acting first first off? I mean, what what was the first kind of proposition that got you into, other than stunts and what have you, into the job of having lines or being in General Hospital? I always, um, I don't know. It was just something that I've always pursued. I can't really say. I, I, I knew I came out here to L.A. I left Texas when I was twenty two, twenty three, with the intention of being an actor. I always wanted to be an actor and I, I got little, you know, parts when I was in Florida on college films call you know, student projects type stuff. Um, I, I was constantly auditioning. I was constantly working on my voice and I was, I was working on, I was not only trying to work on the acting, but I was also trying to work on other things that I, I felt that I was capable of like, like voice impressions and certain characters that I found funny what got me into acting was really just my pursuit of it. Um, hmm. Eventually when I came out to LA, I started being offered better roles and higher impact. I think what, I, I, think what I mean so, is, did you, did you have a manager? Did somebody else pursue these jobs for you or did you, did you pursue them on your own? I wish I could say that uh, an agent or a manager got me a lot of uh, roles. Most of, ah, gosh, 98%, 99% of the stuff I think I've done, i either gotten myself or it's been through word of mouth, you know, of wow. like, Hey, you should use this guy or something. I've had a handful of agents and a couple of managers and uh, it's, it's difficult when it's difficult to get work sometimes when uh, I, maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm, I'm kind of cookie cutter, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, six foot one guy. We can right. find that anywhere. We need someone a little bit more character, a little bit more odd or a little bit more um, interesting. Maybe that's what it was, but I just couldn't get a whole lot of the agents and the manager route never hasn't yet. It hasn't yet really worked for me well as I thought it would. And I kind well, actually I kind of suspected that might happen when I moved out to LA. I kind of thought, you know, I may not, I may have to do this on my own book, my own Mm. work. And I've, I've worked hard to, to get myself, uh, a, a reputation where I can be dependable and it didn't come from, you know, someone doing the work for me. I would love it if, if I had an agent that, that just, you know, sent me out all the time, but it was, I found it difficult to come by for some reason. I, that was just my luck, I guess. So a lot of, a lot yeah. of your, your own things was self-promotion and pushing your own career. 
Yeah, and submitting to a lot and reaching out to a lot and doing a lot of networking and just trying to be uh, talented and an easy person to work with. That's Those were my right. you know goals, and, and be somebody that people want to work with because that's the way I feel I want to work with other people. I want to work with other you, people that are fun to work do with. Do you think that's really important? I mean, what's really important in casting and what have you and, and getting a character, I mean, you're working with people for like 12, 14, to 16-hour days. Do you think likability yes. plays a part in, in a lot of perspective of being an actor? I think it's uh, it's an unspoken rule that's, I think important to a lot of people and I, cause I feel like this industry it's, I feel like it's, it's one of the most difficult industries to be really successful in and every, there's so many people that want to do it. So the moment like you're on set and you have an attitude or you're having a, a bad day, it's like, remember how many people want to be in your position uh, around the world? How many people want to be in front of the camera or be behind the camera, how hard it is to get the truck because there's so much money involved in productions and the production does not want to waste money and time on someone who's difficult to work with. I feel, and I kind of feel that way with every job in the world. I feel like being easy to work with is such a nice relief when you have friendly, fun people that enjoy what they're doing and they show it. I, that's the way I feel it should be. Do you think working working in those suits and having kind of a really tumultuous time playing a lot of these characters at Disney and what have you, like Tarzan? Do you think you think working under those conditions helped you to to be more likable in 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 acting situations? I think it it definitely uh, it, it, maybe it helps. Um, hmm. I think like I, I think that. Um, what am I trying to say here? So I had somebody trying to walk by my car here and look inside. There was a cop. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> give me just one second. Everything's good. Um, yeah, I think it it, it 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 helped in a way. When I was at Disney, even then, I would I I would I mean, rightfully so. I would hear a lot of people complain about the heat and complain about the costumes right. and everything. And I still had the attitude back then that. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you could be shoveling sand, uh, you know, you could be bailing hay, you could be roofing, you know, I mean, right. it, what's nice about the character department at Disney is you, you go on for like 30 minutes and then you come off for 30 minutes, you, you know, so right. it's a nice, you know, mixture. I, and I think working really, really hard through all that and knowing that you're going to be in a better place if you work really hard, I think that kind of develops your, your character and it makes it easier for you to develop an easy to work with personality right absolutely right that's nice mm-hmm. yeah i think it's really hard for some people to be nice on set i don't know why that is but i don't know why they I. think they're going to get i don't think i don't know why they think they're going to get future jobs um, knowing that people don't want to work with people on 12 14 16 hour work or 18 20 hour work days if you're not a somewhat absolutely. pleasant human being and seeing that Absolutely. you're you're in these suits all day long and what have you, you have to be pleasant. You have to be somewhat kind and generous and what have you. So I can see how that can translate over to you, you know, working in what have you in the big studios. Absolutely. And I also feel that it's important to remember that the people you're looking at that are doing the job they're looking at, the 
the, the, the catering, the background, the camera, the AD, the, everyone, the casting, the, the script supervisor, everyone, it doesn't, what you see now doesn't mean it's going to be permanent. Like those background actors may grow up to be the next biggest director or writer. Right. You never know right. who's going to turn into what. And not that this is the reason to be nice to everybody, but you may run into somebody on the street that is, I mean, just the other day I was out for a walk with my girlfriend through a neighborhood and we ran into some uh, nice gentleman who was talking to us. We had a pleasant conversation with him and uh, I started talking to him about how I'm, I'm, I'm about to hopefully get into production soon and I'm going from acting into production and trying to, I'm trying to uh, uh, be a producer on some uh, future projects. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm a writer. And I said, oh, cool. And uh, I asked, what have you done? And he goes, oh, I was a head writer for Saved by the Bell. And <laughs> holy crap, you were a writer for yeah. Saved by the Bell? I, I loved yeah. that show when I was a kid. I used to watch all sure. You never know who you're going to run into. You never know who does what out here or wherever you go. Just Why not just lay down a, a precedent and just be nice to everyone because that's the right thing to do right. for one. And right. then number two right. – you never know what you're going to run into out here. Just be prepared. You know, you know I, I, I wonder if, you know, because of this coronavirus and, and the lockdown, how friendlier, if people are going to be friendlier once the doors open. I, I wonder if people are going to be nicer to each other once they see each other, because it's been such a long time since we've seen another person. I'm hoping so. And I kind of predict that might happen because people have, I feel they've had a lot of stuff taken away from them now. And we have yeah. a lot of like, we don't have the freedom to go out and watch a movie or whatever. It's yeah. It's kind of gone. We've we're experiencing some um, not so first world problems anymore. We're experiencing more right. problems. And I think, yeah, I, I think people, I hope, I sure hope, I hope whenever we come out of this, that I, I just hope that I just, I want the world to be nicer. I do. I yeah. really think, the world could use more niceness and generosity. And well, I agree with you. I kind of yeah. want to, I want to live as an example. I want to be an example and, or just live how I want to, I feel like I want to be treated. Oh, you've always been a, a very kind and generous person. Uh, I've known you for quite a long time now. And I've, I've always only seen you as that nice guy. And, uh, you know, when you meet somebody for the Thank first you. time, you, you wonder where that's coming from. You wonder if it's an act or if it's just, you know, you're just putting on a show for that one time. But you've consistently, right. consistently been that human being without fail. Um, okay. is, there something, is there something about you from your birth or from your parents that, that kind of birthed that out of you? Was, was it an attitude you chose to take on, or was it just natural to you? Thank you for saying that, all. That's, that's very, very nice to hear. I, I really appreciate that. I have... I guess been asked this before or the question has been presented to me before. And the only thing I can kind of maybe attribute it to is my family. I, I have a, I have a, a, a very, very, very solid family. Um, I have uh, well, for starters, uh, my sister who is uh, uh, two years younger than I am. Uh, she is down syndrome. And I, growing up with a child that's at, you know, when the first few years of my life, I did not realize that, that my sister had this. I did not realize right. my sister uh, was a special needs child. So, and then as I got older, I was like, oh, I, I, I had no idea. So as I grew up with my sister, the rules were, were slightly different. You know, like 
Right. Me and my sister, we, it's funny because me and my sister, as little kids, we still got in fights like, like normal siblings. <laughs> we still got in really? fights and argued over stuff all the time. It's, it's great. Well, it was dumb stuff. It was like, who's going to sit in the front seat? Who gets the TV remote? Stuff like that. Really right. dumb, right. childish stuff. We right. still got in arguments, but it was so funny because, you know, I was, I was the older one and, you know, my parents were always trying to encourage me, listen, when you and Terry get into, get into it or whatever, you've got to be the, the bigger responsible for And uh, it drove me crazy, but I kind of started to understand it as I got older. And right. my sister, to give you an example, she will be your best friend in five minutes. You meet her right. in five minutes, she, you will be her best friend. She will love you. She will you sit down with a, watch a movie and get a snack. She loves doing that. She loves being nice and sweet. There's not a single bone in her body that is egotistical, is rude, is vain, nothing. Um, so me growing up around that, plus my mom, who is like one of the sweetest women in the world, she, she kind of sounds like um, Peggy from King of the Hill. She has that real southern accent. <laughs> you know, hi, Dirk, it's your mom. Look, just call me back, okay? We'll talk later. All right, I love you. Bye-bye. She has that real southern sweet accent. She's right. a very goofy person, and right. I get that from her. Uh, she loves just doing characters, and, and she's just so fun to be around. And then there's my dad, who's a very, very intelligent, very well-spoken, very stand-up gentleman who has done a lot in his life. And I am impressed to this day of how much he knows. And I, I have these hour long conversations with him probably uh, around once a week at least. And right. I've always had him to, as my rock to where I could get support from, get life advice from, to get the, what decisions should I make here, dad? What do I need? So I'm, I'm extremely, extremely, extremely fortunate to have those three people in my life because they've they've kept me just looking at the world like the way I feel like it should be. It's a gift that I feel like we should take advantage of and not waste a single second on, on anger or cynicism or anything like that. Right. Just enjoy what, just enjoy your job. Enjoy who you are, you know? Well, you've done, you've done a lot of films that, you know, where you, where it's like uncredited scenes like American Sniper. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) you know, which, which is a, which is an excellent film and people love, and, you know, you also worked on, um, you know, Captain America's Civil War. Yeah. As an uncredited character I, as well. Go ahead. Yeah, they were some smaller parts, but I, I was on set and I was in the costumes and I got to work with the actors. I, I, American Sniper is funny because I actually had a scene with Bradley Cooper sitting right next to him, staring at him in his face and him staring, but the, the scene got cut from the movie. Oh, my God. Unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, I was so disappointed because. I was on set and and I got placed and we were in a cargo ship, a cargo plane, right. and they told me where to sit with the other soldiers. And I'm sitting there and the seat next to me was empty and I couldn't figure out why. And then I hear and Clint Eastwood is on set. Clint Eastwood is on set directing. Wow. And they're like, okay, let's bring Bradley on. And Bradley comes, Bradley Cooper comes and sits down right next to me. I have to like scoot over so he can fit. You know, that's how close wow. we are to each other. And we had this amazing scene where he's he's talking to the guy across from him, and they're like they're they're doing this scene, and Clint Eastwood like says you know he 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 says cut he didn't actually say cut he says you know okay that's enough of that he Clint Eastwood doesn't say accident cut he's 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 like okay go and then stop that's 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 his style of directing, 
he comes up to Bradley Cooper and he looks at me and he goes, when, uh, when Bradley uh, is doing his lines, I want you to look at him and I want you to like be astounded. You know, I want you, he was wanting me to like look at Bradley and, 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 and be surprised that I'm sitting next to Chris Kyle, you know? Right. And it give him some emotion. Like, like I'm, I'm surprised. I'm shocked that I'm sitting right next to him. So I did during the scene, I looked over at him and then Bradley Cooper kind of improvising. He looks over at me like he's annoyed that I'm staring at him. And we just kind of locked <laughs> eyes for a second and we're literally six inches from each other's face. Yeah. It was one of the coolest moments I had in the film. And I was like, that is so amazing. And all the other other guys were looking at the camera, the, the, the monitor, like, dude, it's such a great shot. It's just you and him. And I'm like, oh, right. I hope this makes the film. Unfortunately, <laughs> it got cut. That's what happens in the industry. Now, well, I'm going to ask the question that I think every woman wants to ask. What was it like looking into his dreamy blue eyes? Oh, man, he is a, he's an attractive man. <laughs> he is. He, is. He, he had a big old beard and everything, but, man, he was, he was, a, he was a cool-looking dude. I liked him a lot. He, I hope to get yeah. to work with him again. Yeah. You also worked on Definitely. the Mighty Med, uh, Mighty, Mighty Med, and that's more of a, yeah. a youngster show, more of a, more of a teen yeah. show and what have you. So you had a recurring role on that show. Oh, so yeah. how was that? How was that like? Yeah, that was an amazing experience. I was on that show for, 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 for both seasons that the show aired. So I was on the show for two years and I think the first season had like 26 episodes. I, wow. we, I was working full time on that show for like two years. It was crazy. I nice. got a call and I got asked to come in to play a character called Lizard Man. Right. And I, I said, they said, are you okay with latex and prosthetics? I'm like, oh gosh, yes. I've done tons of latex and prosthetics. So they bring me in the next day to do like a camera test type thing. And I, I meet the, the makeup artist. His name is Brian Sipe. And uh, they put this lizard-looking face on me. They glue it to my skin, like almost every square inch. They put green makeup around my eyes. I then suggest, why don't you put some contacts in? And they're like, can we? We would love to put some contacts. So they put these yellow contacts in over my contacts, which I've I've done before many times, doing Darth Maul, wearing double contacts. And uh, they put me in costume, put me on set, and now I have this challenge. They wanted me to, like, act like I was – in this, they, they, they wanted me to act with some emotion, and I have this latex covering my face, so I now have to control the latex on my face, not just my own face. I now have to deal with this extra layer of thick skin. So I'm doing the acting, and I was getting feedback. They're like, oh, my gosh, he's actually acting through the mask. This is really, really good. And the, I got called back the next day and the next day, and then two years later, I'm still on the show, and – I think I booked about five or maybe eight different stunt contracts on that show. And then nice. I was also the established character. So that was an amazing experience getting to work with, um, with Paris who played Skylar storm on that. I'm still friends with them to this day. Uh, wow. that was so amazing because it was just so fun to have a place in a, in a network show where even, you know, everyone knows your name. You go on set, right. Everyone's saying hi to you. Everyone's in a good mood. Everyone's happy. That's my that I love those moments. You know. Right, right. And everybody's working, yeah. which is what they want to do. You know, those are really yeah. nice times. Yeah, they are, man. When you when you have solid work for and you know it's going to be going on for months, it's it's a really 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 good feeling. Yeah, especially in this industry where where that's consistency is one of the most difficult things to get. Yes. Yes, and you have to scratch and claw your way just to – this is the industry where you have to scratch and claw your way just to get auditions, to get right. callbacks, 
to get avails right. to get jobs. It's I don't know if people understand how difficult it is just to get that one line in the Verizon commercial where they say, I'm going to give Verizon a call. I mean, that guy had to work <laughs> so hard <laughs> right. to get to that spot. So you got right. Captain America Civil War. I mean, that, that was a huge, huge movie. It came out May 6th. Uh, where did, how did that come about, and, and what was that experience like? I think I booked that, actually. I, I had a I believe I had a very, very small part on that. I was only on there for a day, but I do have a funny story about it. I was only on there for a day, and I think I, I, I played one of the um, – it was a it was a soldier some like G nineteen soldier or something is what it was called and I and I was playing one of the dead soldiers towards the the end of the movie so my 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 experience wasn't like crazy spectacular but I will tell you something that happened on the set I was on the set just in fact I actually was told I was not even told what it was when I got to set I it, I was given a code name right. for for the movie because they were keeping it such a secret. And right. so I'm on set, and I'm just kind of watching them filming, and then I hear something from behind me, and hear somebody go, hey, what's up, bro? And I turned <laughs> around, and it was one of my best friends, Greg Reminter, who was the stunt double for Captain America, and uh, I, I don't think it was Iron Man, but for, for Captain America. He was, he's, yeah. he's also the stunt double now for Thanos. Uh, he's done such big movies. He was there. Wow. And I haven't worked. I hadn't seen him in years, and it was just so amazing to be on that set and see one of my best friends who started off in the same place I did at Disney, doing Power Rangers and Tarzan. He is now Captain America stunt double. It was and Winter Soldier as well. It was really amazing. It was amazing. That was experience. Yeah. So even if you don't have a great experience or a spectacular storytelling experience on set, something's going to happen on set that you're going to remember. And that's what it right. was for me, seeing my friend succeeding so well in the industry. I was so happy for him. Well, you, I've always said you always know people by how they are happy about other people's you know, happiness. So if you're happy oh, about yeah. other people, that shows how kind you are as a person as well. Because you're genuinely happy. I love, yes, I, I love looking up in the credit friends' names. That, is, that brings me so much joy. Well, you you Absolutely. you went off and and you started working with Bat in the Sun. So I think oh, one yeah. of the first things we we saw each other on was uh, Wolverine versus uh, Wonder Woman versus Wolverine, where you played Deadpool. Yeah. So how 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 did that yes. come about? You working with this group? That's another interesting story. I I started working for Marvel, for um for uh, Marvel Character Appearance Company back when I was working at Disney. And Marvel Character Appearance Company, they do venues all over the world. And I, I got scouted. I just randomly was scouted by a guy who worked for Marvel. And he said, and nice. this is at Disney World, by the way, when I was still a Power Ranger. So this was at least 12 or 13 years ago. And he said, Dirk, you'd make a good Spider-Man. And I was like, I'd love to do Spider-Man. Well, what do I, what do, what do I got to do? He said, well, I have a, a, call, a number for you to call, and I called this number, and there was a company in New Jersey, and they said, yeah, we have this big event going on. We need more Spider-Mans, and I said, sounds good. It was a Walmart appearance, I think. It was to uh, promote Spider-Man 2 on DVD or something like that. Okay. So I went and I did the gig, and I appeared as Spider-Man. I met all these kids. I had a great, great time, and I entertained the cashiers, and I just – acted like a fun, you know, character doing Spider-Man. And I got done with it, and they were successful, and I got paid and everything. I, I asked Marvel, I said, hey, you got any more of these gigs? 
you know, do you, you got right. any more that you need me to fill? And they were like, well, actually, yeah, we have another one coming up next month. You want to do it? I said, wonderful. So I got to do that one. And then I said, do you got any more? They go, yeah, we have one in another state. You want to fly to that one? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Twelve years later, <laughs> I'm still doing it, or I was still doing it. Right. And uh, I, I found myself, I was, I found myself in, in L.A., and I was doing a, um, a, a gig as, as, as Captain America now uh, right. for, um, for uh, a 911 awards ceremony. They were giving awards to children who had been really brave and called 911 during a time of tragedy, like their parents needed help. Nice. So the awards were being presented to the children and to the responders for being such a good team to save whoever they needed right. to save. Well, we were, I was there, and there was a Spider-Man there. And the Spider-Man, uh, I met this guy, and his name was Aaron uh, Shonky. And he, he's like, hi, how you doing? And, and we meet each other. He was doing Spider-Man. I was doing Captain America. And, uh, and he says, he starts talking to me about my, you know, what, what have you done? I'm like, well, I used to work for Disney, and uh, I, did, uh, I did Power Rangers and Tarzan. I also did Darth Maul. And that kind of, I think, sparked a little light bulb in him. And he goes, oh, you did Darth Maul. And I said, right. yeah. And he said, well, I, I have a film that I'm wanting to do uh, sometime soon. It's going to involve Darth Maul. Would you be, would you be interested? And right. at the time, I kind of, I think I just said, you know, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Sure, no problem. I really didn't want to do Darth Maul anymore. It was a big process and shaving your head. And, and, and once you shave your head, you're kind of, you're almost kind of unbookable in LA for most parts. You need, you know, they like having hair, you know, <laughs> unless you want to just promote yourself as a shaved head person, which I didn't have in my headshots. All my headshots had hair. So I know shaving process, it's going to take a, a lot of your right. time. So I was, now that was, that to, was Darth Maul versus Spider-Man, right? Yes, it was. That was the Darth Maul versus Spider-Man episode that he was talking about. Well, I went home that day and I kind of, you know, just forgot about it. And like a few months later, I, I bat in the sun was this, this production company called bat in the sun said, uh, they're releasing their new, their new episode. And it was Thor versus Superman. And I go, this is that show that, that, that guy, Aaron was talking to me about. Well, let me check it out. First right. five minutes, first one minute into the show, I was hooked. I was like, wow, these guys are really good. Wait, that guy directs the show. And so I looked them up and, and it corresponded. Sure enough, he was the owner of that show. So I was like, I got to let this guy know that I, I would like to, you know, this is really good stuff. This isn't just some, you know, dinky little short film. This is a really good right. production. And I messaged him. I said, Aaron, yeah, I'll shave my head for this. This is really good footage. I, I want to be involved. That's how I got started. And about, I don't know, only a month or two later, I'm, I'm driving from Vegas back to LA and I get a call from him and he says, Hey man, uh, we had something happen. We need a Deadpool this weekend. Right for an episode of, uh, of one of our shows, of our, of our show. And I was like, Deadpool? And he goes, yeah, you, can you do it? What are your measurements? And I was like, I told him my measurements, and I said, here they are. He goes, oh, that's perfect. Can you do it? I got, I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, sounds great. And right. I hung up the phone, and I looked at Ashley, and I go, who's Deadpool? <laughs> <laughs> at the time, I had, <laughs> I had no idea who he was. I'd never even <laughs> heard of the character. This was, this was yeah. years ago, mind you. I had to look him up. I'm like, oh, he's some kind of red ninja. Okay. All right. I'll, sure. Why not? I, I'm probably just going to be like a background part or whatever. I didn't realize right. it was going to be the lead of that, that, uh, that episode. And that's how I, that, right. that's literally how I got involved in it. And then once I did that, we did Darth Maul only a month, about a month or two later. Yeah. Darth Maul versus Spider-Man. Yeah. That, was a re- that was a really good episode. That was, pr- that was really nice. I agree. 
Yeah, I agree. The it's kind of a coincidence that you, you, yeah, it, it was kind of a coincidence you worked for Darth Maul years and years prior, and then you did Darth Maul in a in a live version for Bad and Son. It was really nice. It is a coincidence. It, it's funny because the two are unrelated. Like, right. they, they're not related at all. I didn't get this Tarzan, or I didn't get this Darth Maul spot. I mean, they, they're kind of related by, by story. He, he was interested in me because I had already played Darth Maul. But, yeah, it wasn't like Disney put in a good word for me or anything. I just right. had to, once again, I had, I had to promote myself. I had to network myself. No agent got me this. I just had to – you just have to talk about it. If you have skills and you have things you want to do in life, it just has to be on the tip of your tongue. You, you have to be willing to talk about it, you know. Right. It, there's no there's no shame in just kind of talking about what you've done if someone asks, you know. Right. Well, as we're as we're wrapping up, I want to talk about Heroes with Issues. So you worked with Sean Piccinino on yeah. Heroes with Issues as well. You, what was that experience like, and, and how did you, how did you enjoy your experience? That was a great experience working with Sean. Sean is one of my favorite people in the industry. He's incredibly nice. Uh, he's, he always, like every time I send him a message, whether it's text or Facebook, he replies right away and he always tries to help. He, uh, I, and this is a side note, I was in a motorcycle accident recently and he was messaging me almost like every, every, twice a week he would message me and ask me how I'm doing, which was right. so kind of him. He brought me on to a show, Heroes with Issues, as the pilot episode playing Deadpool. And it was so nice. relaxed. And it was so fun, and I had a I had a chance to do my Ryan Reynolds impression and and work on that. The funny thing about that episode, though, that I don't know if anybody realizes, I'm blind. I'm 100% blind in that episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we had to improvise with the eye holes of of um, the Deadpool mask, and we had to stick like texturized. Uh, napkins inside to create the illusion of the white eyes. But the problem, and it worked great. It looked amazing on camera. The problem was I couldn't see. I couldn't see inside. So I'm laying there on this couch and they're, they're kind of feeding me the, they're like, okay, we'll work with you with the lines when you get here. And they're feeding me these lines and I'm memorizing the lines and then I'm saying them. And I, I, after about an hour and a half of doing this, I started to kind of go, uh, I started to kind of see things. I started kind of going delusional. I could see images <laughs> like I was daydreaming. I was kind of, I was kind of unconscious slash conscious doing it. I was like in a dream doing it. And once I took the mask off, I was like, wow, that's reality. Right. Okay. That's, so I'm actually blind the entire time in the costume doing all the moves and everything. So that, right. that's kind of an interesting backstory to that episode. But Sean's show is awesome. I love that show. You know, you mentioned your motorcycle accident. Uh, how are, how are you, you, know, you were on your motorcycle when you got into this accident, and you needed surgery yeah. on your ankle. Am I, am I right? Absolutely. I had uh, two surgeries. Hmm. How are you recovering yeah. from, from that accident now? I'm doing much better. I am walking on my own now without crutches. Um, okay. I have gone through a very, very painful and emotional recovery from this accident. It's been a it, – it's, it's – it's been one of the toughest things for me to experience in my life as like out of nowhere type thing. Like you, you don't plan for something like this. You know what I mean? Right. right. You, you, I, I, I was, I was getting on an interstate uh, on the 10 freeway and uh, I was going up an on ramp. And once the on ramp had, had dissipated and it merged into the interstate, 
I was like, I'm on the interstate now. As I went to merge over, this happened to be a second curb that I didn't see. It turns out wow. I wasn't on the interstate. I thought I was. I was still on a side road. And when I merged over, I hit – and I've been driving for over 12 years, never had an accident. And or riding bikes for over 12 years, I should say. And I hit that curb, and I went flying over it at probably between 45 to 60. And uh, lost control. I hit the ground. I rolled into the interstate, and this is at 6.30 p.m., by the way, kind of during rush right. hour. Right. Um, the bike took its own path. As I'm rolling, I'm just kind of worried that someone was going to run over me. But other than that, it, it kind of felt like I was doing a stunt. So I wasn't too, like, out of my, you know, out of my, my, my league. I was, like, rolling on the ground. I'm like, okay, this feels like I'm doing a stunt, really. I hope I'm not broken. As I right. stopped rolling, I looked up, and my foot was unfortunately facing to the left. I had I had destroyed my ankle, and uh, I also broke my wrist, and I broke a finger. And uh, I got taken to Cedar sinai where I was treated immediately, and I was there for almost two and a half weeks. I received three surgeries, and then I was released home. It's been exactly three months and I think two days or a day since the accident, and right. uh, I'm doing so much better. I can't get back into stunt work just yet, um, right. but – it's coming. It's coming. And I, my, my amazing girlfriend, Ashley Capel has been taking care of me the entire time. And she's just been waiting on me hand and foot. And I can't thank her enough for that. Is there, is there anything you've learned from that experience of being in that horrible accident and recovering from that and not being able to do the things that you love? Well, my dad would say, slow down. <laughs> right. He would say, slow down. Uh, LA is, is a difficult place to have a slow mindset. You know what I mean? It's really difficult. You have to think quickly out here. You have to, it's like time is money. You know, you, 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 there's never something you can't not be doing. You can always be doing something out here to further your career and you have to work so hard. But what I've learned is I just, you know, I don't, I, I, I'm still working on that. Like what have I learned from this experience? I guess, cause I'm still healing. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still experiencing what happened. I'm still kind of in the midst of it. So right. what it's just, I, what it's just taught me, it's just, you know, I wish I had not lost my bike, but at the same time, people have asked me, are you going to get back on the bike? Well, I think I'm going to take a couple of years break for right now mm-hmm. from it and, and right. see where I am. Re- and re- I just, I just think I just realized like, how important, even though I already knew it before, how important my life is. And yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you, do, do you I, take more, do you take more stock in your mortality and how easy to die? Yeah. Yeah. It, it showed me how quick it could happen. It yeah. really did. It showed me how quick it could have been over. It really helped me to realize one wrong thing could have happened and I could not be here talking to you, Steve. It, it really could have been a lot scary. worse. Yeah. A car, a car could have hit you. I mean, there's a lot of things that could have gone Easily. wrong. Yeah. Easily. There were cars in front of me, beside me, behind me, everything. And they were all going 45 to 60 miles an hour at the time. Right. They could have easily not seen me and just plowed right over me or wrecked into each other and then plowed over me. It, I'm right. extremely lucky that I came out with my, my, my brain, my heart, my spine, face everything was was perfect it was just a few broken bones that will heal so i was very very lucky and right. yeah i'm just very fortunate do you, do you plan on doing uh, like going full steam ahead when you're when you're fully recovered and this whole thing is down like the quarantine is down again do you, do you plan on doing more things where heroes with issues and bad in the sun and more movies along the way as a matter of fact while i was in the hospital i was making phone calls 
like nice. literally three or four days after my arrival to uh, Cedar Sinai. I was um, I'm I'm working right now. Like I said, I'm trying to become a producer as well, and uh, I'm working on a very large project that my 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 closest friend out here in LA has written and gotten really good offers. And I'm talking to an investor. I can't say a whole lot right now because no contracts have been signed. But right. I am talking to an investor out of state, and we're negotiating right now. We've been talking last few months about what we're going to do. I started that conversation while I was in the hospital with with poles, rods going through my leg, holding my leg in place. And I was writing emails to these investors wow. talking, trying to establish some communication here. So the mo I'm, I'm still working on it now while I'm at home. I'm always editing my projects. And whenever it gets into full swing, you bet, I am going to be out there first day working my butt off to try to get m- more work into the acting industry, stunts, producing, directing, everything, writing, everything. Let me put a hypothetical out there. You know, there's a, there's a kid in sure. Texas. He he wants to be in show business. He wants to he wants to mimic your career and what have you. There's some advice you can give him that would you put him on the same path somewhat that you're that you're on. Yes. Yes, I I, I get asked from time to time. I I actually did a workshop at an acting class where they were wanting me to you know what is your advice or whatever and. A little bit of advice that I gave that the teacher told me later on he was glad that I said was uh, something that I I don't really think a lot of people are taught this when they are you know when someone says I want to be an actor move to L A. So usually the response is you know you know go for your dreams which I I agree go for whatever dream you have that you feel confident that you can do and you feel like you have the abilities. But also remember that L A. California is a different animal. There are things you're going to experience out here that are not going to be good. Um, you will, you will get street sweeping tickets. You will have hmm. stuff stolen from you. You will have friends turn their back on you. You will have that stuff happen out here. It's it, it, that's why one other thing I feel like it makes it so difficult is you have a lot of uh, obstacles to get around out here. There's, I mean, rent alone to make your rent every month is a is a challenge and then to do that on top of going to auditions that you have to take off work for you just need to i think have that mindset and be prepared that you're going to come out here and it's probably not going to happen just like that you know you 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 can't just come out here and say i'm gonna i'm gonna come out here and i'm gonna start acting class i'm gonna get me an agent and it's gonna happen yes that is possible and it has happened but most of the time you have to really, really, really work your butt off really, really hard for quite a while, one to 10 years sometimes to actually get established out here. So just keep that in mind that you're going to go through the ringer when you come out here. It's going to harden you up if you're not hard yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Are, are there are there any future processes other other than the one that you're producing? Are there jobs that you were, you were scheduled to have that were shut down because of this quarantine? Yes. I was supposed to go to Guam uh, for Marvel, um, April, the third week of April. Uh, so let's see, that's about right now, I think, right? Uh, it's coming up. Yeah, I was supposed to leave for, uh, for Guam actually in a few days um, they, for, for an event with Marvel. They, uh, they had me out there about three or four years ago. They had me do a uh, – they were going to have me do a 15-school tour um, – Last time I was out there, it was about it was an anti-bullying campaign. They had me as Spider-Man go out to Guam, 
and tour about, I don't know, 15 different schools, hospitals, private schools, talking to thousands of kids in auditoriums about, about anti-bullying, about, you know, being a good person, standing up for yourself, standing up for other people. And I had, uh, I, I gave 20 and 30 minute speeches to these kids and I was supposed to, I was invited back and I was supposed to be out there next week, but it got pushed back to the fall due to Corona. Wow. So yeah, well, that stinks. Yeah. yeah, it does. It does. They're, they're really good people out there. The Guam people treated me very well. It was an amazing trip too. They, Right. They they had me enjoy all of their tourism stuff like hang gliding and snorkeling. They put me in a great hotel. It was amazing. I loved it, but I, that fell through because of coronavirus. So uh, you, you yeah. have a lot, you have a lot of experience of of going out of country and playing characters, yeah. don't you? Yeah, I, I've I've been fortunate. Yes. Is there any country yeah. you know that you have that that's like one of your favorites that you did you travel to? Oh man, there there are some really good experiences at all of them. I've been to uh, Guam, Hawaii twice, Taiwan. Uh, I've been to Saudi Arabia. Um, I've been to quite a few, and I, I I really enjoy when I go to somewhere tropical. But that doesn't mean I don't enjoy the experience at a place that's not tropical. Like when I went to Saudi Arabia, I it was it was a it was a, I was actually out there with Kevin Porter. Believe it or not, uh, we had a, really? a thing to do out there. Yeah, he. He did some work for Marvel for uh, for a, for a while, and uh, he was out there as well, kind of helping coordinate everything and help everything, you know, go flawlessly. And we did an appearance for uh, for their the Saudi Arabia's first Comic Con, and we did a stage <laughs> performance for them out there, and it was it was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing, and uh, that alone, it was it was. I think it was only a three or four day trip. It was an extremely quick turnaround, but right. and even though there wasn't really a whole lot to see, it was a lot of sand and a lot of unfinished buildings. It still was an experience for me. I still, well, what is a, it. what is a Saudi it. Arabia comic con? Cause I know what it's San Diego comic con looks like, but inside right. the building, what does a Saudi Arabian comic con look like? Um, well, there wasn't really any any costumes. I'll, I'll, I know that there wasn't really any cosplaying going on. So people on, weren't cosplaying. It, that, no, I don't think there was a lot of cosplay. I don't remember seeing any cosplay. It was just, in fact, I have a video of of it on my uh, my my Facebook fan page of me showing a Saudi Arabian child a a, 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 a card trick, and I had about thirty <laughs> people around me watching. It's a really cool video. The the Saudi Arabia people, they were they. To me, I got from them nothing but love, for one thing. Uh, when I was on stage or when I was off stage, they just wanted to talk to me. They wanted to constantly talk to me and, talk, and take pictures. I think they were just, like, thirsty for entertainment. They, they loved the entertainment aspect of what we were doing, the lights, the music, the, the, the talking to them, the, the characterization. They loved all that. So it was a really amazing experience, and there was a lot of venues set up with, like, video games and talking about movies and stuff. It was rather small. I mean, it would fit in a, a, parking, it would fit in a parking lot, but it was, it was still an amazing experience. Nice. Nice. How could, how could our audience see you and, and, and talk to you? Do you have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? What do you, what do you have that we, people can reach out and, and find you? I do. I have um, I have a, a a Facebook fan page. It's it's basically Dirk Ellis official page or Dirk Ellis fan page. I have um, my what I've established is my production company called Ellis Evolved Productions, and that I have a Facebook for that. 
And then I have where I, I load a lot of my own productions that I do on, on this Facebook that I'm working on as well. And then I have a, uh, an Instagram. Uh, it's nice. just my name, but with an underscore on both sides. So underscore Dirk Ellis underscore. And then I have a, a Twitter with the same name as well. Nice. Anyone can reach out to me on all those. Nice. Well, Dirk, thank you so much for being on the show today. You know, I, I've always known you as being one of the kindest people I've known and, and, and very generous. So I, I, I the That's whole audience has you. heard that now and, and they really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you being here today. That's very nice of you to say, Steve. You've always been a really good guy to me too, as well. You came up to see me in the hospital twice, yeah. twice. That yeah. was, I, and I know you also have had some experience with those kind of things. So I knew you could relate and it was really kind to see you come up there. It was really nice of you to invite me on the show. I am very proud of you for doing this show and having us on. And, and this is a perfect time, obviously. So, you know, everybody can stay at home and listen and stuff. So it, this is just amazing. I really appreciate this experience. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, my friend. You have a great Easter or a great Passover, whichever one you celebrate. Do you celebrate Easter? You know, I well, especially not today. Um, I do just kind of have <laughs> I have fun with whoever's doing Easter. If we're gonna hunt some eggs, let's do it. If we're gonna have some right. mimosas and just have a good time, that's that's my Easter right there. It, you know, that's and, and, that's the one thing I miss is going to people's houses and stealing their food. I really oh, I really oh, miss that. Great. Yeah, it's great. That's the only reason why I go over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dirk Ellis, thank you I so wish much for being on. A happy Easter. Thank yeah, you. you have your you have yourself a blessed weekend, my friend. Thank you, That's sir. Dirk you Ellis. Too. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, <laughs> Here's your clap out, my friend. Yay! Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my guys, that's that's Dirk Ellis right there. One one of the most amazing guys I've ever met in my life. You know, we worked together a, a while back on uh, uh, Wonder Wonder Woman versus Wolverine, and had a great time. And you can always tell great people by how they're suffering inside and how they're responding to it. You know, he's stuck in a suit, he can't really move. It's really difficult to talk, uh, but he's still standing on his hands and making funny gestures and being very clever and being very funny. Uh, throughout the years, I got to know him even better. Uh, got to meet his wonderful girlfriend as well. It goes to show you what kind of personality he is by the consistency and compassion, empathy, and love that he's that he's showing. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring him on the radio show was to show you a different type of personality than just somebody acting like they're nice. I'm not saying that that a lot of people that come on here are acting like they're nice, but this is a consistent thing that we're seeing, which is likability and kindness which is what draws other people to these people to bring them on the set for a 12 to 14 to 16 hour day you can see a lot of the inspirations as well in his life from his sister with special needs to his mother to his father coming from texas working with children in marvel and disney you have to have compassion and empathy and love in your heart to be able to do all these things and, and have those experiences with other people. The question of likability comes in, in the queue all the time when I talk to actors and stunt actors and directors and what have you throughout the shows. And you can see that he has that likability, that, that desire to be liked as well, which is why he works so much. And he works so hard. He was talking about how during his motorcycle accident, continually 
busting out and trying to get more work. That goes to show you a personality that that is bright, that's full of light. Dirk Ellis, we cannot wait to see more films from you, more projects, more success. We know it's going to come real soon. As soon as this whole lockdown goes away, you'll be running into the fields and getting more work. We can't wait to see that done. Thank you so much for being on the show. We're blessed. And I'm blessed to have you as an audience be on this, listening to the show and being here on a Easter Sunday. I know you're all locked in and you're forced to be here to a certain extent because there's nowhere else to go. But I'm the blessed one to have the time to spend with you, to be with you. Remember, be kind to each other. Be kind to yourself. This is a time of reflection. The time to look deep within yourself and go, who do I want to be when this whole thing is done? Do I want to be kinder, more generous, more loving? Do I desire to have better experiences with people? Do I want to be more like Dirk Ellis, where I'm, I'm happy? And I strive to be happy and I strive to make other people happy? Is that important to you? It should be. As we go through this lockdown, write that book, read that book, watch that movie, make that movie. Take time for yourself. Forgive yourself. Reach out to those people and tell them you love them. Those people you haven't talked to in a long time. Reach out to them. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter if they answer back. It only matters what you do. I myself, I want to I wanna be loved. And I want to love. And I love all of you. Thank you very much for listening. This is Cinema Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. God bless. <laughs>